0: The Around the NFL
2: Podcast.
0: Hates
1: Baths.
2: Welcome to another edition of the Around the NFL Podcast. My name is Dan Headless. I come to you from a room filled with heroes. A virtual room, that is. Mark Sessler, Greg Rosenthal, and Chris Wessling. What's up, boys? Hey, Dan. Can't say it. Can't say that the ATN Podcast hates baths when Wes is on the flagship. So at that right. point, it is no longer unanimous, and I don't think it was even before that. So an erroneous money drop. Wes, what's up, buddy?
3: Well, it's, um, <laughs> it's not so erroneous because I baths are on the outs.
2: Oh, oh. wait a second. <laughs> Last time we checked in on this, Wes, as you were going through your latest courageous bout against the big sea, you've been dealing with a lot of pain and a lot of uh, attempted management of said pain, and the bath has been your sanctuary, your fashion and you've spent hours in there and there's candles involved and jazz. What has happened? Give us an update.
3: There's been some drama in the meantime.
2: Some bath uh, mm. drama. Let's well, hear it.
3: First um, <laughs> fell asleep watching game pass woke up to a, to an iPad that no longer worked. Oh. No. <laughs> so um so I went no. back to my I went back to my old iPad from like no. 4 years ago cuz you know it still works.
2: This was not the one that was stolen at the 2016 Women's That's World. That's never been right? recovered. That, that is, one.
3: That is, that one is uh, whereabouts unknown. So <laughs>
2: this, this one wasn't the one that was in your car that disappeared one day and was never seen again either. No,
3: right? that th- those are in where, whereabouts unknown. Who knows? But uh, went back to my old iPad, started watching Game Pass in the bath woke up and that one was waterlogged and going to... Oh no.
4: Okay, it's it's fine Wes. We're going to we're going to edit out the second mention and uh the NFL is going to hook you up with a new one cuz it's been 4 or 5 years. You're fighting cancer so that you can do do oh. a job um you know, as best as you can. And accidents happen. They owe you one every couple of years. We're going to edit out the second mention. They they will they will buy you. They will get you an iPad.
3: Come I think on. at this point, if I take oh. another iPad into the bathtub, Keisha's going to yeah. um, have some punishment waiting for me. Oh, okay. I mean, I thought
5: the whole the gist here was that Keisha was going to, uh, at at times, not maybe, you know, wire to wire, but sit in the bathroom with yes. you and, and maybe there would be a doorway to... Um, well, I don't know stuff that we wouldn't talk about on this podcast typically, but instead, you're alone, and the and the iPads are falling ah. into the tub. So,
3: yeah, both of these incidents were more in like two thirty in the morning range.
2: Mm.
3: Keisha may have been awake to feed the baby, but other than that, she would not have been awake and sitting on the edge of the tub.
2: Damn, Wes, that's crazy. All right.
3: So yeah, baths—they've um—they're not quite so romantic. One one man romantic without the iPad.
2: Yeah, I guess so. I guess that's what we've learned. I guess you could continue to take baths while not watching Game Pass, but also why mess with the process of the scientist? If, if that's how you uh, consume your football, who am I to say maybe take the iPad out of the mix?
3: I like that. You can be my could campaign you- manager.
2: A good line of
5: questioning, Dan, because that led to what I would consider an explosive update. I mean, there Uh, was a lot of new
2: information there. I mean, that was some breaking news. Wes (laughs) has lost. Now that we've known Wes, he's up to three downed iPads. Um, And I hope this just continues to go on forever and ever because it's kind of amusing.
3: I believe that's factually correct.
2: (laughs) I've I've gone
3: through three and I'm now on my fourth.
2: Incredible. Incredible stuff. All right. All right, so that's not great news, and I, and I did like that you had your little moment or your little time to yourself in the bath. So I don't like that you've turned on baths, but I love, Wes, that you are here with us to go through all of the action here on the flagship show. Week 11, uh, a lot to get through. Um, as, as we say, NFL, things change every week. A lot changes, and it happened again. And also one notable injury that's kind of, ugh, Wes the west side of cincinnati cries tonight we're going to get to all that let's start though with the game of the week i believe or if not the game of the week right up there let's head to baltimore henry gets the carry running left henry to the 25 henry to the 20 to the 15 to the 10 to the yes! F- oh yes Two, yes six, yes yes touchdown Titans, as the Titans will run out of Baltimore with a shocker in OT. Oh, you know what the best thing about... And, of course, that was Mike Keith and Dave McGinnis going nuts for WGFX. Best thing about the play is when you watch it on the teleprompter screen thing, or the telestrator. Um... The run by Derrick Henrys is in the shape of the letter L. He was giving the Ravens literally an L with that run in overtime. Uh, Henry picked up 96 of his 133 yards after halftime, including that 29-yard TD Dash and OT, to close out the Ravens. A huge 30-24 win for the Titans in Baltimore. Um, the Ravens actually started the ball and over started the overtime with the ball. And again just this this thing boys with the Ravens where something just doesn't seem right. You win the coin toss, you have the ball, you had driven down the field at the end of regulation to tie the game. It kind of made sense that now against the Tennessee defense that is uh, scares no one that you're going to go win a ball game and, and take control and be at the top of this division. But instead, Harold Landry sacks Lamar Jackson, sets up a third and 17. Defense holds. uh, Tennessee's defense holds. Punt. And then, before you know it, Henry and the Titans are celebrating. uh, A huge win for the Titans after their ugly Thursday night loss in Week 10. And the Ravens, Wes, just more questions about where they're at in 2020.
3: Uh, Yeah, and I think by this point, we should... We should start pointing to the offensive line and why they haven't been the same and why this might just not be their year. They don't look like a serious contender to me anymore. Mm. And when you lose, you know, one of the best guards of its generation retires, Marshall Yanda, and then you lose uh, left tackle Ronnie Stanley, who's one of the top two or three left tackles in football, and you expect this offense to run on all cylinders like it did last year, that's just not going to happen.
4: Right, and you're hurting two tackle spots, uh, you know, by moving Brown from right tackle to left tackle. Suddenly, get, got a problem at right tackle. But they still moved the ball enough in this game. And you watch it closer, Dan, so you can speak to it better. And when you get the ball at the 15-yard line on a catch, to Des Bryant of all people, with about Woo! a minute to go, you think that's when the Ravens are going to cash in and score a touchdown. That's in regulation, and they went one for four in the red zone. There weren't many days like that in, in 2020.
2: I mean, 2019, rather. Absolutely. And and they had a 10-point lead in this game at home against a huge conference rival, just like against the Pittsburgh Steelers a few weeks back. Another game that they lost. And uh, after the game, uh, Lamar Jackson, who's been somewhat outspoken about his frustrations uh, with the team this year, Talked about against the rival, and these teams do not like each other, and there's some bad blood that we could get into, but uh, Jackson was very frank when talking about why the Ravens were not able to win this game.
3: You know, that team, it looked like that team wanted it more than us. You know, they, they was playing physical. Uh, when we went up, I feel like, you know, we just took our foot out the gas, but we just got to keep it going for these teams. Mm.
2: So Lamar said he thought the Titans wanted it more than us. This is a game that started... With the Titans players all standing at midfield on the Ravens shield, uh, that led to not just Ravens players approaching them, but John Harbaugh uh, and other Ravens coaches, which which stunned some of the Titans players uh, to see them that aggressive. And then after the game, Mike Vrabel uh, goes up to John Harbaugh to shake hands, and Harbaugh goes, "Nah, I'm, I'm all good." Uh, they don't. I love when coaches get catty. It's a little bit of Mark, a bit of a caddy business. Head coaches, and uh, we saw that at the end of this game.
5: Yeah, it's it's almost like some of these head coaches have uh, pretty large egos. Um but I <laughs> to me like it's something about the Ravens um has an effect on the Titans. And, and I'd point to that A what what Derrick Henry did in the playoffs last year. But the Ravens did their job and they're down men on the off- on the defensive line. 36 yards for Derrick Henry on 13 carries at the half. But then by the game then, he he Derrick Henry became the guy that we think and the AJ Brown catch um, in the touchdown where four different Ravens had a chance at him. He he, Over two two catches that he had, he broke seven tackles. So the physicality of Tennessee mattered here. I totally agree with you, Wes, about the offensive line. They also benched their center, who had a series of gaffes in their last game. So you're just not – everything went right for Baltimore a year ago. Now they're facing a ton of adversity. They're facing injuries, and – you know, it seems like every week someone is dropping some sort of hot quote that becomes Mm. a narrative and a story, and sometimes that kind of tells you where the team is mentally. Not in a great place right now.
4: Well, they lost two games they should have won at home against their AFC rivals, the Steelers and and Titans. So, this game's so big for the Titans, who have to play the Colts again next week, and they could have been in a tough spot here where they needed to win that Colts game, or else they would have been on, like, a huge losing streak, and so it's massive for the titans that brown touchdown and the way they ended it with henry it's sort of symbolic that they want to be the biggest most physical most athletic strongest team in the league and like you you said it like if they just pull aj brown down before fourth down who knows rabel you know it's fourth down and the game's basically on the line there and aj brown like runs through them all did you know dan by the way um Mm. i saw this from Garafolo. garofalo i know you're um You're into the fighting after the game. That after the game, the Titans were all singing Seven Nation Army, which I didn't even realize is a Ravens thing. It feels like it's everyone's thing, Uh, but no one even like fought them on that one.
2: That is interesting. I, I guess I'm a little surprised they not know the song, but I guess it's one of those songs. It's the White Stripe song that No, no, a I know. Sensation. I'm just saying every
4: team plays seven, well, no, seven but nation that Army. Is, so I, didn't I
2: know, know every agree. team plays it, but it, it Ravens games in Baltimore, yeah. that is, they've kind of taken ownership in the NFL of that. So, yeah, that, there is definitely some heat there. I love heat. And the thing, uh, I think Lamar Jackson, that quote about the other team wanting it more, I think it's directly related to A.J. Brown getting into the end zone there. Mm. Uh I think so. And also, if I'm the Ravens, uh, I'm like, oh, geez, You're going to watch this tape, and you're going to see that the Titans didn't even play that well for most of this game. And they still found a way to beat you. Uh, So this is probably crisis time in Baltimore. They're still okay, I mean, record-wise. But they're also on the outside looking in in the AFC, I believe, as we head toward December. Let's move on. Hill fakes the handoff, looking to throw. Running out to his left, looking downfield. He's going to tuck it and run at the 10, the 5. Touchdown, Taysom Hill! Woo! woo Zach Streep with the call. WWL. Sean Payton decided to go with Taysom Hill as Drew Brees' replacement on Sunday, and it paid off. Hill accounted for two scores, and the Saints defense sacked Matt Ryan eight times in a 24-9 win at the Superdome. Greg, everyone's going to want to focus on the quarterback and how that decision played out. But it was the defense that really was the star of this game for the Saints.
4: The defense absolutely destroyed Matt Ryan and the Falcons, who came into this game playing quite well. I mean, they had less yards in this game that the Falcons did uh, than they averaged in the first half of their games under Raheem Morris. That that's how that's how much they just destroyed him. I've never seen Matt Ryan. That at least in my memory look as frazzled as he was. You know, sometimes you hear the announcers be like, yeah, let, "You know, I don't like you know the look on his face." Like this was like a look on this plate and not even maybe just on the on the sideline as much as when he had the ball, he was waiting for those hits to come, and they were coming. At first, it was with blitzes, uh, and then later it was just the four man front, really Yamada, Davenport a little bit, but mostly Hendrickson and Jordan just. Doing work and making it happen.
5: There is one little delicious um, Sean Payton nugget from this game. Roddy White, the former Falcons receiver, tweeted out in quotes um, Saints about to get whipped trying us with Taysom Hill at QB. We about to snack them. Ooh. And Sean Payton, after the game, retweeted it, uh, which is just like you know, you, you like your little um, head coaches with a little bit of bluster okay. and edge. A Little bit of cattiness. Um I enjoy it thoroughly. There was one other thing, because I was watching Kenny Albert and John Vilma announce the Cowboys Vikings game, and they had been with the Saints a few weeks ago, and they said that the reason that they were like one of the few people that were not at all surprised um that Taysom Hill got the start. when I think most of us were like we assumed it was Taysom Hill, we had to, you know, retape something because of all that business. And then uh you know, it, 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 basically Sean Payton said at any point that Breeze got hurt in a game, he would put Winston in. But if he had a week to prepare, he would mm. choose Hill every time. So I just added a little bit of context to why, how the decision was perhaps made.
3: Right. A little addendum to that. That was like a month ago where he said that.
5: Right. I mean, it's and it, but they finally got that week to give him full starter starter reps versus throwing him in in the third quarter or something. So, That's what I'm saying. It, this yeah. is, this is it, been, to be clear. Planned,
3: this has been the plan for weeks and months.
4: And to be uh, clear, I think that should be the story, Taysom Hill, because Drew Brees is on IR. That's happened since we last talked. And um, it, it's a testament to this organization how strong it is that they're 7 0 with their backup quarterbacks the last two years now. And this defense is balling, and the offensive line's great, and the running game's great. That's all great. Like we, we know that about the Saints now. But Taysom Hill played really well today. You know, he had a slow start, and his defense kept him in it. During that slow start um, Is deep ball You know Got some Some laughter it, You know it, it hangs up there And everything But he made good decisions And more importantly I think he made about Three or four throws As a true drop back guy uh, When he was under pressure Where he didn't see The pass rush And he delivered Some nice throws And so His running Not unlike uh, A lot of running quarterbacks Sets up advantageous matchups in the passing game and that's what happened today. The Falcons tried to shut down him and, and Alvin Kamara and he's going to get one-on-ones and he made him pay.
2: Played I well. will say this. I don't I don't like this setup. I don't like this setup long-term. And so I it w-
5: doesn't feel like a Dan Hanses um, approved what do you mean? setup to begin What's with. It's not well,
4: that long-term. It's a
2: couple weeks well, at this point. I lived on Taysom Hill today. You know, I locked up the Saints. I, right. I rolled with them. got the win. It was a rare but,
4: visit to Taysom Hill but you're right.
2: First of all, he I thought the deep ball was troubling. I thought that, that tells you there is an element of their game that is just not involved, uh, when Taysom Hill is your quarterback. I also found He's it not interesting. involved when Drew
3: Brees is quarterback either.
2: Yeah. Okay. But there's a difference in what happens, uh, on the intermediate, intermediate routes with Drew Brees. They're very different quarterbacks that way too. But like you had, so you're not going to have a deep ball presence with Taysom Hill. I thought it was odd that, Alvin Kamara wasn't involved at all in the passing game either maybe that's just an aberration but it just seemed like this is not something that is going to work long term I maybe I'll be wrong on this but that's why I thought the defense played awesome in this game and they they set up the Saints well and, and Hill it did enough and good for him in the red zone he he found a way to get in the end zone twice uh but I I still wonder if this is the right decision
3: well he he held the ball too long, and he was indecisive. I don't think he sees the field well at all for a quarterback. For an NFL starter, I think he'd be well below average in that area. Um, but but then again, for all the things you take off the table, you're you're putting things on the table too. His right. ability to make plays late in the down. Um, one One play where he hits Michael Thomas coming across the middle of the field late in the down was really impressive. His numbers would have looked better. The, the Saints score would have looked better if not for a Michael Thomas drop in the red zone early in the game. Um, but I did think th- that was the kind of performance which, to me, was not even that impressive, but still pointed out how ridiculous the anti-Taysom Hill people have been all along. How well, how the, low the bar is for, for what they're, they have found him to be laughable.
2: It's funny that, that you say that, Wes, because it did cross my mind today that... Twitter Middle School was all set to go off on hill today. Like this was supposed to be the culmination of all the years of uh teasing uh, and it was supposed to be Hill going down in flames and destroying the Saints today. It, it it just, it did not, it didn't happen. So It
5: was kind of like Michael J. Fox at the end of Teen Wolf when he's mm. not the wolf anymore. He's Michael J. Fox. And he's got to win it <laughs> as just himself. And the whole high school is ready to pounce on him. But Michael J. Fox prevails. <laughs> Here's the thing analogy.
4: though, like he was, he, he started off a little nervous. Ian Rapport reported that. He was a little shaky in practice early in the week, which had some people wondering because he kind of was feeling the enormity of what was going to happen. And, and maybe there's a little bit, bit of that early in this game. The Falcons' defense was had been playing fairly well coming into this game. I don't think you just put it to the side that he runs 10 times for 51 yards and two touchdowns. Like, that's that's a game Huge. changer. Yeah. And, and he goes, you know, he only has five incompletions. His numbers, you know— Throwing the ball, where you could say, you know, Thomas had that big drop, but he also got a little lucky on one deep throw that was, you know, that Sanders made a play on. But I look at Michael Thomas and I say, Michael Thomas goes over 100 yards and catches more on time throws in this game than the three games combined he had with Drew Brees. I mean, there's no question about that. And I don't know if that's just Michael Thomas getting healthier. Or what? But the reason why I wasn't as as um, I'm not as worried as you, Dan, is there were a lot of like on schedule throws in this game. It didn't seem totally fluke. Yeah,
2: yeah. I guess here. All right, let me put it this way, okay. And we all know Jameis Winston is at this point in his career what we've seen not a high level quarterback. So I'm not making I'm not making the point that this is a travesty that Jameis Winston isn't playing right now. <laughs> but when it happens, and it will. Uh, when the Saints go down fourteen to three in a big spot at some point down the line, Taysom Hill feels like the last guy you are going to want in the game uh, to try to get you back in the game. Uh, I would I would like to see how they their offense looks when they get put behind the eight ball just a little bit.
4: Yeah, I think that's I think that's not totally different than where they were at with Breeze with these long slow. Drives. And I think, look, if Winston had been the quarterback, and I trust, obviously, Sean Payton deserves the benefit of the doubt, to put it mildly. Um, and he, he, he knows Taysom Hill is the better option for them. That's who he wants. But if they had a week to prepare for Jameis Winston, they'd probably make a pretty good plan there, too, because they're an awesome team with great coaches. You know, like, and that goes a long way. That goes a
2: long goes way. A long way. Hey, I would say
5: also the way that they,
4: they know the quarterbacks
5: in their own division. What they did to Tom Brady and the Bucks a couple weeks ago, what they do to Matt Ryan today. And Greg, are you saying that perhaps Sean Payton should be trusted over, um, you know, a bunch of talking heads on Twitter on who should start a quarterback? <laughs> I'm not,
4: I'm not saying that contract, I mean, or that he's going to have a great career as a starting quarterback. Like we'll see. But in this spot, Factored uh, in. how can, how can you be worried? You can't be too worried about it. I mean, they, they handled, the Falcons and then some And if they're we've, We talked for years Like wouldn't it be great If Drew Brees had a defense Well here I mean, we go it's a, it's a different time right now But here we go They're one of the best teams In the NFL For, for the fourth straight year It's pretty impressive
2: it One should, of the possibilities
3: ahead, here You know just to counter What Dan said that What Dan said is a possibility That they'll eventually yeah. Live to regret this One of the possibilities is How they get better right. every week they get explosive. They find another gear they didn't even have with Drew Brees, and they hit their, they hit they ride the wave into the playoffs.
4: Mm. Brees is eligible to come back week fifteen. He has eleven broken ribs, according to ESPN. Wow, there's how many ribs four, do we have? Twenty four. That was a big common question. I had it too. I was like, how many? He broke like, how many more are was, there?
5: I thought it was twelve. So twelve I, on I, each I don't side. Need, I, know,
4: I know nothing about my own body. Twelve on each 12 side. Total, so. Twelve on each side.
2: Wes, what was the rib thing in the old testament?
3: how God took the rib of Adam and, you know, created Eve? Yeah. There you go.
2: Good that times. Was good, that was like a big thing with the ribs.
5: You sticking to that your is that your school of thought, Dan, on how it's
3: the, the f- first career rib story, story ever told.
4: Cool. Yeah. Mick ribs, the, that was a thing. Remember mick the mick ribs. rib? That very ribs, very oh, yeah. popular. Oh, yeah. Big yeah. food
2: yeah. I,
3: I like to smoke a a few racks of lit
2: ribs. I guess I'm just, I'm just, yeah, you do, Wes, and you're quite capable at it. Is, is tonight the de- night I'm going to, you know, take on the Bible? No, uh, I won't do it, Mark. But I will say, perhaps in, in today's times, in 2020, the idea of the man's rib being used to create a woman, is that going to hold up under scrutiny? Well, I'd say I if, you,
5: if you came out of nowhere with that concept tonight and just said, here's what I think happened, like you would be Cancel. met with some resistance on, on, done. on social media. Yes. <laughs>
2: All right, I think we should move on.
0: Save it for... The Theology Podcast. It's coming. A 39-yard field goal from Blankenship to
2: give the Colts the win out of the hold of Sanchez. Here's a snap. Balls down. Kick is on the way. And it is. It's through. It's through. It went in. It went in. And the Colts win it. A walk-off winner for Rodrigo Blankenship. The Colts win 34-31 in overtime. Look at that. The number three and number four overall pick in the draft on Thursday, games one and two in the recap. Zeuser nailed it, Mark. Zeuser nailed
5: it. (laughs) I I told you it was a good draft. Um, Credit where where credit is due. Thank you,
2: buddy. Rodrigo Blankenship's field goal was true, and the Colts had their biggest win of the year 34 31 over the Packers at Lucas Oil Stadium. That game winning kick was set up by a Marquez Valdez scantling fumble on Green Bay's opening possession. In overtime, Matt Taylor there, WFNI with the call. Uh, Aaron Rodgers is not going to forget that MVS fumble, boys. Uh, It would be naive to assume that MVS is even alive as we record tonight uh, (laughs) because uh, the nature of that turnover. And, Wes, the the Packers have no one to blame but themselves. They had a two-touchdown lead at halftime. They're putting the ball on the carpet over and over. Four turnovers. They just let this game get away. No business losing this game once you take control. Uh, but they found a way to blow it and it's troubling.
3: Yeah, it almost felt like they thought they had it in the bag and close up shop. We're done for the day. We have Aaron Rodgers, even if the Colts tried him out of comeback, he can move the ball at any time. And it didn't it just didn't happen. And uh to see MVS go from hero to goat Ugh. after that big fifty yard catch um Setting up an opportunity where they were hoping to get the field goal and had a chance to go for the win in, in regulation, um, that's heartbreaking. I don't know about this narrative that uh, Aaron Rodgers is going to have him buried underneath the Bay Bridge or whatever. Right.
2: <laughs> Just don't put it past
4: them. It's don't it's surprising it too, though, because Rodgers had such a big part you know, in the collapse. Now, the only reason that they are ahead by that much – is because Aaron Rodgers, you know, absolutely filleted, you know, the Colts defense in the first half. But when the Packers offense goes three and out, three and out, they fumble the ball. Uh, and then the Colts stop him on fourth down, and at that point, you thought the game was over before that game tying field goal. Like that's a pretty long stretch of uh, failure by the Packers. And like I was shocked on that fourth down play where Rodgers couldn't connect. I was shocked because it was one of the rare times this year where it's like, oh, maybe good defense can beat good offense because this was that mm. sort of game.
5: Yeah, and, and the you know the the defense was up and down for Indy, but DeForest Buckner a huge play, and they they knew what they wanted when they went and traded for him. He's been an asset for them all along. So, I mean, you you look where the Colts were two weeks ago before they beat the Titans on Thursday Night Football. And then this game, and it's suddenly they're seven and three. Now, I'm not sure that they are a classic seven and three team, uh, or that I see them that way, but my perception has changed a bit about who they are and what they can be. I still don't know if I trust this offense though outside. The, good day today, but you are starting to get guys like Michael Pittman, um, involved. I mean, some of these younger players are coming back. Jonathan Taylor's been a bit of a disappointment, but they might have a chance to be much more functional, uh, than they were for large chunks of the season.
3: I have a question for the crowd. Yes. All right. See, we're 10 games into their rookie year. One was traded up for in the second round. The other one was undrafted. Whose career would you rather have going forward, Jonathan Taylor or uh, Richardson in Jacksonville? uh, I mean, James Robinson Robinson? in Jacksonville.
4: I'd say Robinson just because he looked like the better player, although it sounds like Taylor had about his best day of his career today. But Robinson, to me, has been a top 10 10 running... Been a top ten running back in the league this
2: year. Makes I mean, you they, wonder what James Robinson would look like behind this Colts offensive line? This
5: Colts mm. offensive line, though, didn't they have about nine holding penalties in this game?
4: <laughs> I mean, the end, the last couple minutes of this game, how it was managed was was just insane in a million different ways. All those holds gave you know the Packers another chance. But one, I just one small thing I want to point out that I feel like the analytics or maybe this like evolution will eventually get rid of is unnecessary spikes. And uh there was an even when you got the smartest quarterback in the league taking an unnecessary spike at the end of that game and giving them one less throw to the end zone. It was a pretty massive deal to me. It's like at some point I think people are going to wise up and know when to spike it, when not to. With about 40 seconds left in the game, he takes a spike, two two throws, and then the game's over.
2: do so not you miss this? Didn't you I miss, had... uh, Greg, uh, second-guessing coaches on <laughs> clock management?
3: Well, it's funny because I had that thought a couple of weeks ago. Similarly, when somebody spiked it like way too many times and the announcers were griping about it and I said, it won't be long before analytics are tracking this, and then somebody's yeah. going to get in big trouble. Some quarterback's going to be great at it, and some of them are going to be criticized for it, and we had no idea it was even a thing. And here, Greg's already all over it. It's,
5: we've been doing these shows for so long that the minute I saw that, I was like, Greg will comment on that. <laughs> he will comment on that in this show.
2: So if you're a Packers fan, you're sick to your stomach. They had 28 points at halftime. Like I said, a two-touchdown lead, and then they didn't score for 29 minutes and 57 seconds. In the second half, before uh, the field goal, um, right at the end of the fourth, uh, to force overtime. So uh, that that to me on Thursday, I talked about it. I don't know if I if I trust the Packers, and I kind of feel the same way about the Colts, to be honest. Even these la- these last two weeks, they have wins against the Titans and Packers. So that's definitely they that has raised my esteem uh, my my viewing of them. Um, Right now, but uh, they're kind of mirror images, maybe not as teams, but they're both seven and three in their conferences. And I think the teams that are ahead of them uh, in the conference are much better, but they're a full Mm. step up ahead of the teams that are right below them so it made sense that this went down to the went down to the wire and just keep an eye on Philip Rivers you know as just as we see Drew Brees is up to what like 27 broken ribs now these old quarterbacks start to get hurt unless you're Tom Brady and you're unstoppable uh, Rivers had a foot slash ankle something happened at the end of this game uh, we'll, we'll track that because he's already a guy who can't move and if he has if that's a, a lingering injury that is not going to be good for him
5: one little kicker note. I do like this Rodrigo Blankenship. I think he'd be kind of a sneaky fun guy in the kicker club. I've not allowed in there myself, but I'm just sort of presupposing <laughs> from the outside.
2: Uh yeah, we 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 haven't let him in with open arms. I, I want to say I that could, it's gonna I be, imagine that. <laughs> it's going to be a, it's going to be a Christmas gift that I'm going to share with you. Uh, boys, something I stumbled upon uh, just today, actually, about Blankenship, but I don't Not want to share it right you. now.
5: Wait, is it that he's actually 13 years old? He just doesn't look like an adult to me. But <laughs> See, It's I, the, I the I Rex
4: Specs him. or whatever he's got going on. No, that
5: makes him look I like have it. a
2: gift for the podcast, but I want to save it for um, another time. Okay. Anyway, so good for the Colts, so though. That's a nice win and a great, great showdown again when they have a rematch against the Titans coming up in Week 12. Let's move. Takes the snap, play action fake, he's back, he's gonna get hit, it's up in the air, and it's picked off! Taki Taki's got it! Down the sideline, 25, 20, 15, 10, it's Genzel Ward on the tip, and the pick by Taki Taki, touchdown! (laughs) That's just a fun name. Jim Donovan with the call for WKRK. What you doing, Carson? Sioni Taki Taki. Stepped in front of a Carson Wentz pass and took it 50 yards to the house. Cleveland's opening score in a 22 17 win. Browns' latest conquest in miserable conditions at their home stadium. Mark, the Browns lost Miles Garrett to the COVID 19 list this weekend, but it did not really show against the free falling Eagles.
5: Yeah, I think, you know, we've talked about Cleveland's defense as, you know, being subpar. You I mean, just, they're living with it and they've, they've learned to live with it, but they do have. Uh, You know, you got Miles Garrett, who's essentially, I think, helped win three or four games for them. Denzel Ward, wire to wire, has been uh, absolutely one of the toughest looking quarterbacks, cornerbacks to me. And he did it again today. Uh, They got pass rush from guys that have been relatively quiet this season. Adrian Claiborne had a sack and a half. Uh, And because of his arm issue, he can only line up on one side. So like you you always know where he's going to be coming from. I think that's one reason he doesn't get as many snaps. Uh, But Olivier Vernon had three takedowns today, Um, one of them a game-changing safety. So that was huge. I mean, they got help from guys um, on the Sunday. They absolutely needed it. And it was really a defensive-oriented win. Uh, Cleveland's – this is the second week in a row where I've watched – Uh, Last week, it was the Texans. This week, it was the Eagles come into this game saying we are going to sell out to stop Cleveland's running game. Eight men in the box time after time. I think it was 36 snaps against the Texans and the Eagles had nine today at times and it worked. They really like Cleveland at halftime had about 15 yards rushing and it was the Eagles that had piled up, you know, 90 something. So they looked like opposite teams from what you're what you'd expect. What Cleveland does, does pretty well, though, is that when you're using Chubb and Hunt the way that they do, they have found ways just to wear teams down in the fourth quarter. And that broke free the Chubb, one big Chubb 52 yard run or so, uh, which, you know, he does a, he's patented stiff arm and, uh, sets up the Browns near the goal line. <clears throat> then Kareem Hunt had, an unbelievably um, acrobatic sort of diving touchdown. Uh, and that was it. I mean, Cleveland's offense was uh, was rough. And the weather, you know, is certainly a factor. Um, I, I come out of this with questions about their passing game Um Baker Mayfield had what, two or three real money throws in this game, but I just don't tr- know if I trust them minus OBJ to be consistently productive. They were lucky that they were playing an Eagles team uh, that has a broken down quarterback. And it's mm. it, it, in many ways, this game from the Eagles side is just more of the same and what you'd expect. Uh, Wentz to me just is, there's just, it, it's almost like you can't om- diagnose everything that's happening to him. Uh, he just seems like a completely different person. Like he was body switched with like Eric Hippel. Uh, I don't know how to explain <laughs> what's going on with this guy mentally, but Cleveland, th- we, we on our preview show, and I, I came to agree with you guys. I think you talked about this being a potential like letdown game because they've had this sort of soft part of their schedule. And I really thought all game long that's how it was going to go, but they played a team that I think just has way too many questions. Um, and and a, a team that people have assumed and just put into the. Crown ship of the NFC East I don't see it I don't think they're winning this division not the way they're playing right now
3: Carson Wentz is exhausting he plays exactly see he's the only quarterback I've ever seen who plays a whole season in one game it's like how many quarterback controversies can you have in one game like seven times Eagles fans had to be like take him out no put him back in that was a good play that was a good play No, no he's got how can you possibly keep playing this guy
2: yeah, it's you know, it's like when it was early in the season, and you thought it was a situation where he's having this walky season where he has these ugly stretches, and then he gets hot, and then he, he maybe steals the win or gets the game close enough where you have something to build off it was, man, Carson Wentz has been pretty hot or cold. But now I feel like, and you sense it from Eagles fans out there, uh, Connie Fox and John Gonzalez amongst them, that there's just an exhaustion level that's been hit with, with his struggles this season. And you have to, I mean, it's fair to wonder uh, at what point do you try to save the season uh, if you want to look at it that way and bring in the guy you you drafted Jalen Hurts in the second round, and just see if it could spark the offense. Which seems like, her- well, according to their own head coach, that's heresy. Let's hear what Doug Peterson said after the game. I think you're you're sending a, a wrong message to your football team that the season's over, and and um, that's a that's a bad message. And and um, you know we have to we have to work through this times. You know when 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 times get tough, it's you know sometimes that might be the easy thing to do. No, it's the opposite of saying the season's over. If you bench Carson Wentz, you're telling your players, Doug, I think we could still be something this year, but whatever we're doing right now isn't working, and I want to save this year. You're not putting mm. up a white flag, and I, I think his attitude uh, speaks to a uh, general malaise that's fallen over this entire organization this season.
5: Well, Dude, I would. Be- I how about benching Doug Peterson? It's like I, I, I think that. The pairing of Wentz. and off, you, well, you should be, you should be a little annoyed, Doug Peterson. You, you went out and wrote this Pete seeking, uh, you know, autobiography after this, your Super Bowl this win. This
4: book has been on your radar for for a while. I mean, <laughs> it it's is. it's a little much, but it's also very common. Like the winning coach just gets like a it, kind of toss I needed bio. that as
5: much as I needed like the Tim Tebow we autobiography after
4: one NFL season. Yeah, please. you did. You didn't have to read it. Um, Why are we talking about Doug Peterson's book again? I'm just, I'm just saying, saying, like maybe you
5: know, like he, there were other coaches on that Super Bowl staff that maybe should have had the books written All right. about them. You
2: love Frank Reich. I know. We got that it
4: might be, you know, it might be a, a comment um, or a somewhat of a statement about how they think, you know, Jalen Hurts looks. Which I, which is part Maybe. of it, and I'm not saying yeah. that they have the best feel, but this coaching staff hasn't given us much reason to think, and neither has Jalen Hurts' snaps um, that they're going to be able to cook up uh, an offense with most anyone. But you're right; he's sort of at the point now, whence where you almost have to, you know, seriously think about taking him out, just because if you're if you're, in, you're turning the ball over this much every week, at, at some point, like you got to make a decision. They're still in first place, though. Still in first place. And the Browns are 7-3. and three. Speaking of a 7-3 and three team that might not feel like it, they're 1-2 and two against teams that have a winning record. But I give the Browns a ton of credit for their coaching staff coaching them up well enough to take care of business in all these games. It's not their fault that they've had an easy schedule. It's actually kind of awesome that they haven't been picked off week after week in all these games. Yeah, I mean, the last time
5: they were 7-3 and three was 1994. And I, I think if it weren't 2020, I'd feel like... Yeah, I'd be more plugged into the excitement around this. Um, it's just obviously a weird year. But I think the thing I take away from it is that every week they seem, outside of that Steelers and Ravens disaster zone uh, games, they're, they're well coached. And that's the, the, weirder, the weirder thing than the record is just the fact that they aren't a disaster on game days coaching-wise because that's been the case for 25 years.
2: All right, let us move forward. Denver with a five-man rush. Steps in the pocket, throws the ball to the end zone. Pass is going to be intercepted. Intercepted by Justin Simmons in the end zone. Simmons, his fourth interception of the season, his 15th of his career. None bigger than that
0: one with 63 seconds left.
2: Dave Logan with the call. K-O-A. Ryan Fitzpatrick replaced an ineffective Tua Tunga by Loa on Sunday, but Justin Simmons' end zone INT ensured there'd be no Fitz Magic at mile high in the Broncos 20 13 win. Greg, the Dolphins had been the league's feel-good story for the past month. What did the Broncos do to snuff out all that good cheer? Woo! They got after Tua. They got some
4: third and long plays from Drew Locke, and they got Justin Simmons to make one of the defensive players of the year. If you if you see on like the All-22 look how far away he was when that play started, and the, whether it was through tape study or his feel or whatever. 43-inch vertical leap. Right, his knowledge of what Fitzpatrick was going to do. You can't even kill Fitz too much for, for throwing it because he saw Blackman is way off the screen and – And the Broncos' defense deserved to win this game. Their whole team deserved to win because they dominated. The Dolphins were extremely lucky, I would say, uh, to be close uh, late in this game. They go to Fitzpatrick to give the team a spark because Tuatunga Vailoa struggled. He did not push the ball down the field at all. I don't know if that was because of a foot injury that he came into the game with or what, but after an awkward sack, they take him out uh, early in the fourth quarter. And Fitz comes in and immediately, within two plays, moves the ball more than than Tua had in about two quarters. So I think the move made sense. And I think if you listen to the comments after the game by both players and the coach that Tua is still the quarterback, I was impressed. And I think this is what you can do and what you should do when you have adults in the room and you don't treat the quarterback position like they're some like weak, egoed little like Yes non professionals. And Tua. it, Tua and Fitz totally reacted in the way that you'd want to, and you gave their team the best chance to win at the end of this game, and now you go back to Tua next week.
3: It's like raising children. If you treat your if you treat your four-year-old like he's one, he's still going to act like he's one. Let him grow up. That's how you treat quarterbacks. I agree with you so much, Greg.
2: All right, so devil's advocate here. Tua struggles again in the first half next week. Do you put Ryan Fitzpatrick again? And if it happens the next week, do you do it again? Because wasn't the point? Of this, to all right, we know we're kind of on the fringe of the playoff race. This is a few weeks back, but we, we're going to go to this kid. We want to get a look at him. Maybe he could raise the ceiling for better or worse. We get we get a, a guy that gets some valuable experience. Don't you start messing with that if you start yanking him in and out of the lineup? I mean, it
4: was one quarter. The experience he was getting here was no longer useful. Now the injury, even though Flores the injury said, it, played wasn't,
2: a big part,
3: didn't it?
4: I mean, we don't know. Flores said it didn't, and they sort of don't want it to be a story, and Tua doesn't want it to be a story, Um, but the same foot he was on the injury report got rolled up on and stepped on on the play before he left, but he made it clear, and this has happened in a couple games, his first start and now this one, that he wasn't moving this offense. You know they the offensive line wasn't protecting him; they couldn't run the ball, and the three times he tried to push it down the field it wasn't close, so it wasn't pretty and the Broncos defense was dominating. they had a hundred yards and eight drives. The only reason uh they got a touchdown early was because of a bad drew lock interception. The only reason they got that touchdown is also because another Justin Simmons. Beautiful interception of Tua was overturned mm. by a questionable penalty so so I don't blame them they, they're they're trying to win games I think that's the goal Dan is to play Tua and to make the playoffs to do both and they tried to thread that needle today. I
5: see the complete opposite situation to like Justin Herbert where Justin Herbert ha- is you know all the big names around him um, on defense and special teams are not propping him up at all. Uh, he's doing a lot on his own to remarkable extents. Um, Tua has played a couple games where I have seen, you know, quarters go by at a time where I'm just not seeing it. I think he can do really, like, you see the, um, the awareness the accuracy, uh, the poise. I'm um, a couple plays where you're just like, yes, he will be a productive, intriguing starter. But he has been highly supported. To Dan's point from our Thursday show, um, you know, Andrew Van Ginkel can be linked to like two of their wins. They've had um, endless turnovers. They've their defense has played as well as it's as you could possibly ask it to. Special teams has been super impactful. So on a day like today, when that didn't quite happen, um, and it was more just on Tua. You get caught, and I think it's fair to say we just talked about Carson Wentz not being benched. I mean, why not treat Carson Wentz like an adult and sit him and see what you have as well? Not to go back down that alley, but um, I, I, I hear that like you know, there's, I think the standards are different in different situations.
4: I, I think, and it's also yeah, I think you're a head coach. You get paid to kind of evaluate the situation that's in front of you. At that point, we're we're a couple minutes into the fourth quarter of a game that was all you know felt all. Felt all but over. It's a, it, to me, it's a little different than going into a game like that. But I think it does point out one of the Dolphins' biggest flaws. They were always going to play with a small margin for error. But the number one flaw they have is they're one of the worst rush defenses in the league. Phillip Lindsay and Melvin Gordon ran all over them, almost for 200 yards on 30 carries. And they have gotten into these game scripts where they've been ahead each and every week. They're the best first quarter team in the NFL, and it's really limited the other team from... Trying to run. I mean, the Broncos ran on a third and nine late in the game when they needed points because they didn't want Drew Lock to throw an interception. Didn't even work, but that just kind of showed you where their like run game was today, and that's going to be a problem for Miami. Is they kind of do? They are a team, I think, because of their defense that really can play with the lead a lot better.
2: All right. Speaking of Justin Herbert, mm. Herbert rolls to his left, still holding the ball, goes to the end zone, caught touchdown, Chargers. Keenan Allen, why not add a touchdown to all those catches and yards today, a nice bow on a heck of an afternoon,
0: and the third touchdown toss from Herbert. Keenan Allen's had a lot of big games in this league, but this is going to end up being the biggest when it's all no. said and done. Thank you.
2: We got what we needed. Matt Money Smith with the call, K-Y-S-R, Justin Herbert, Threw three touchdowns in a game for the fifth time this season. That's a new NFL rookie record. And Keenan Allen, what else can you say? He piled up an amazing 16 catches in this game, including that 13-yard score. Final score, 34-28. Chargers over the Jets at Hollywood Park. Herbert was great. My concerns about what his haircut could mean for his rookie season, unfounded. He threw for nearly 300 yards in the first half. Picking on an undermanned Jets secondary that was starting three rookies. Uh, So you kind of saw it coming, uh, and yet it was still impressive to watch. And Herbert is, on a game-by-game basis, so impressive to watch. Uh, That said, if you're a Chargers fan, it's still a little bit annoying watching this team. Even when they win, Uh, the game starts with a blocked punt that leads to a Jets touchdown, followed by a fumble at the one-yard line uh, when they were going in for a score. Then they get the game together. They take control, and then they almost give the game away. Uh, They give up three straight long scoring drives to the Jets, the Jets, in the second half, and then go three and out uh, with a chance to salt the game away in the fourth quarter, giving Joe Flacco the ball and an eight-point deficit, which should have been six, but Sam Ficken uh, missed two extra points. Uh, credit to Los Angeles for making the stand at that point uh, and getting the Jets to go um, turnover on downs. But even then, like... Jets were knocking on the door. They were at I believe the thirty yard line of the Chargers, with a minute or so to play uh, before a fourth down incompletion in the end zone to Denzel Mim. So they close out the game, but at the same time, if you're Chargers fans, you're just a, you're you're just a little bit exhausted by the the trajectory of all these games in the Anthony Lynn era. Mm. But um, that's my general takeaway. There's that frustration, but man, Justin Herbert, what a stud!
5: He's gonna like smash. The rookie touchdown record. Um, he leads the league in 50-plus yard completions. Uh, I mean, he can do it all, and like I, I, you know, we're watching you know four games at once, and I'm trying to keep track of of my game, but all I can do is my eyes are just drawn to what Justin Herbert is doing. He's he's that watchable and that unique. So, I mean, I guess as a Jets fan, Dan, you kind of would like to think that a year from now, um, after this horrible autumn into winter, you'd have a quarterback like that um, capturing people's attention the same way. Mm.
2: Sure, and Joe Flacco, again, not a star performance by any stretch, and in fact. Uh, He threw a grizzly pick six, the play after that Chargers fumble in the first quarter where he just floated one into the flat uh, and a a Chargers defender stepped into it. I want to give him the love that he deserves. Uh, It was, oh, boy, oh, boy, I blew it. Uh, Tavon Campbell stepped in front of it uh, for the touchdown. Uh, Tavon Campbell. Uh, Campbell. Wait, is that the former uh, Lakers? Player, I don't
4: know.
3: yes, That's it is. That's Tony Campbell,
2: I believe it is. Uh, so, but Flacco again showed he's the one thing he has left is a deep ball, and he kept on bombs oh, yeah. away. Uh, Rashard Perryman, Well,
5: will give uh, him to the Saints. Dan.
2: well, maybe uh, Rashard Perryman had another long touchdown. Chris Herndon even had a touchdown in this game, and and uh, you saw some nice things from Denzel Mims. Um, who I really think is going to be a player if they could ever get an offense figured out. He's really flashed the last couple of weeks since coming back from those hamstring injuries. So that's where the Jets are at. They're 0 10 mm-hmm. for the first time in franchise history and six losses away from guaranteeing themselves Trevor Lawrence.
3: I feel mistreated and lied to by the NFL draft industrial complex about Justin Herbert. I understand why Tua fell a few spots coming off that major injury. But all the doubters for Justin Herbert, and look, I'm, lot. I'm too lazy to watch the tape myself when it comes to college football, so I can't say much, but I can't believe this guy's arm and just the style in which he plays that he had so many doubters.
4: Well, I think it goes to, you know, you got to look at their coaching staff in college and the type of offense that they run that people just never saw him in the position to make it. But yes, you would think that a guy with that arm string, you saw it show up today. Like on the Mike Williams touchdown, the fact that his arm is so strong is why the defenders are out of position for Williams to go run after it. I, you know, night, our uh, former guest Nate Tice pointed out this 60 yard bomb that he threw where like the ball never even left the screen because it was, it was so hard. I mean, he, he is getting to the point where he is going to be in the mix of the best rookie seasons by a quarterback ever. Right. I mean, to me, he's a top ten quarterback in the NFL right now. I've never easy. seen a I've never seen a, a rookie quarterback play better than Justin Herbert. I haven't. I haven't. Isn't like, he easy a, top ten? Right. Uh, you mean in terms of overall NFL? I mean,
5: I if I yeah. you could give me any quarterback in the league, I, I'm, I'm not part saying part moving
4: forward. Justin I'm Herber. even just saying for like a game tomorrow. You know, I'm just saying for like right now. Yeah, easy top ten.
2: He's been as productive as any quarterback in the league since he uh took over the starting lineup and we'll get to it a little bit later unfortunately he also locked up offensive rookie of the year today uh with the injury to Joe Burrow unfortunately I mean, um
5: and one quick thing to Wes's point i mean if you're the Oregon coaching staff how do you feel like <laughs> hey season ticket holders we had what potentially was a hall of fame quarterback <laughs> for 4 years and threw screen passes and ran run play option buy tickets now
2: yeah uh, i i uh, yeah. i'm looking at his stats he He had 32 touchdowns, six interceptions, a 157 passer rating, 3,500 yards, 67% completion completion percentage. He he seemed to have good numbers in Oregon. a lot of of RPOs. Look, I don't watch a second of college football,
5: so I'm sure that was not coming from an educated place.
2: But, no, we had heard that, that his college game had some flaws, which obviously um, there was some bad talking of him. But, uh, anyway, he's a stud. Good for Chargers fans. Let's move on. Walker to throw, has time. Uncorks a long one in zone. Samuel, yes, sir. Touchdown, Carolina. Oh, Mick Mixon with the call. Welcome back to the show, Mick Mixon. It's been a while. WBT no Teddy Bridgewater, no Christian McCaffrey, no problem, no problem for the Carolina Panthers, uh, who got a touchdown pass from XFL legend P.J. Walker a shutdown performance from their defense 20 zip over the lions mark did the lions forget to show up in this or what happened exactly fireable
5: offense this this is the game that i would i would point to um, for the reasons you just mentioned who was not on the field for carolina and just say matt patricia you got to be kidding me here you got to be kidding me Uh, but here's the thing pj walker um he had two inter- he had two interceptions in the end zone so it was not a perfect game uh, but this guy can throw and like he had a a fifty two yard strike to DJ Moore who blew up in this game and it looked like they had been practicing together for weeks. So, I mean I think the first thing you look for is that they'd be out of sync um, and there were moments like that. But Robbie Anderson was there for it. And, and Robbie Anderson and P.J. Walker played at Temple together under Matt Rule. So, I, again, it's like I think there was trust in P.J. Walker. And they didn't really change the offense that much for him. They kind of let him wing it. And, and you know, Matthew Stafford had the hand thing. Um, I didn't notice any effects from that. This It's just that I think We that were told
0: ma- going
2: into this game that that was not an issue at all.
5: Well, it wasn't an issue. But, but the way they coached the game, it made me think that they were a little concerned about— Stafford's ability to air it out against um a defense that's allowed teams to do that to some degree uh they ran the ball non stop in the first half they it, it, they really looked to me uh like they were in tank mode. I mean, and I know they're not I know they're not. I think they're just a confused organization. <laughs> I mean, it was an embarrassing loss. Uh like you're you're dragging Lions fans through a lot. Because on top of it, I mean they could not protect Matthew Stafford. The the Panthers had five sacks today and that's not been their calling card all year. So I just think they got they came in mm. and got completely outplayed by a team that believes in itself. More, no matter who's on the field. I mean, and we've seen the Panthers get close. And it's like, it's time to close out one of these games. Um, and so that happened today. I'm not shocked that, you know, they got a win like this at some point. But I'm surprised it came with no Teddy. Um, and Christian McCaffrey's loss is, you know, there's no replacing him. But Mike Davis has been a pretty awesome fill-in week to week. And so, you know, they I, this, this to me, like, I'd point to the Lions and say, If you stick with this coaching staff, um, you have a lot of answers uh, to give to your fan base who should be as frustrated as any fan base in the league right now.
4: Dealing with injuries is like the number one sign, I think, of good coaching staffs. So the Lions had massive injuries too. When I saw that Amendola and Galladay and Swift were out, I mean, right. where is their offense? They, they were a tough offense to watch with those three guys. You know, is kind of, you know, tertiary compared to those other two, but that nice is their tertiary. offense. Tertiary. Like, like nice. Swift, Swift and Galladay, that's it. So it doesn't surprise me their coaching staff couldn't scheme up uh, much to do, but still, but shut get out. Well, no, zero points. No, that's I'm not price. expecting them yeah. to get shut out. I would not have, I, you Against know, it's that
2: defense.
4: I'm saying it's, it's inexcusable, but that's a sign, I think, when you compare these two coaching staffs, with the difference between them.
3: Yeah, and on the other side, guy like Mike Davis, who two coaching staffs in Chicago and Carolina couldn't do anything with him last year. Yep. But Matt Rolstaff can, and PJ Walker. How many other guys are out there who are like, you know, just playing in other leagues or not not in the NFL come come straight in and win a game like this?
2: The only time the Lions showed life in this game, they got a flea fl- flea flicker touchdown uh from Stafford to M- Marvin Jones. Um, that was wiped away in the third quarter on a legal formation call on Marvin Jones. So that would have made it 14-7, and then maybe who knows what happens. But. I
5: think that was the spiritual end of this game because it, it just—you <laughs> could just could tell that the Detroit could do—they could get nothing done here. It's—it's
2: it, it's the watch is on. It's—I don't think there's any more question. Uh, Because this Lions team is not going anywhere. We know that. They're heading towards nine or ten losses, and they will be one of the teams, it seems, destined to be searching for a coach come January. This was a big step toward that direction. Let's move on. Tough, Tough sitch. I feel you, Lions fans. We're in this together.
0: Play fake. Looking in the middle of the end zone to Schultz. Touchdown with a minute 37 left. Dalton to Schultz, and the Cowboys have regained the lead.
2: Oh, yeah. Brad Sham, the Sham God, K-R-L-D. Oh, Greggy, I'm talking about the Eagles still in first place. Well, guess what? There's another team in the mix now in the NFC East, four of them. Don't you ever, don't you ever count out the glowing gingerman, Andy Dalton. With three touchdowns in his return from a concussion and COVID-related absence, including that go-ahead strike to the Dalton Schultz late in the fourth quarter. 31-28. The Cowboys beat the Viking Mark, It's hard to fathom. But yes, the Cowboys are now in the mix legitimately again in the NFC East, which says so much.
5: They are. They play Washington on Thursday. So, you know, they have a chance to pick up another win and separate from Washington, uh, it's just it's kind of weird in like mid November, late November to watch like a two win team come into Sunday with so much to play for, and uh, they looked like you know having watched the Eagles, uh, you know, minutes before this team brought much more life. I think their defense is improving a little bit. Um, guys like Leighton Vander Esch look to me uh, over the last three or four weeks the way that I remember Leighton Vander Esch from the past. Uh, I, the scheme maybe maybe you know people complain about the scheme being tough to deal with. Maybe it just took, you know, they were a team that could have used a real preseason to go through some of this. Uh, but the story of the game was both quarterbacks and the offenses. I felt I felt like it was tough to watch one of them lose because Kirk Cousins was lights out. And I mean, the wide receiver play in this game was unbelievable. I'm sure you all saw the CeeDee Lamb catch, which was, um, you know, I... I, the Odell Beckham catch, there's one of these, like there's maybe two or three of these these kind of plays um, a year or even every five years because that was something that was just remarkable to watch. Adam Thielen had a one-handed touchdown grab in this. He had a second one-handed grab as well. So the wide receiver and Justin Jefferson did more Justin Jefferson things. So that was the fun part of this. There were six lead changes, four of them in the fourth quarter. So it was just sort of a matter of who would – um, have the ball last and Dalvin Cook. Dallas did a nice job against him early. He got real hot towards the end, and I saw Dallas's defense get worn down. and I thought a couple of times that the Vikings were gonna kind of blow the lid off the thing and just walk away with it because their season is obviously on the line as well. But Andy Dalton, I give him credit. I mean, this Dallas team—they uh, have so many parts. They look so—they look like you know everyone's ditching all the parts, getting rid of them off your fantasy team. But guys like CeeDee Lamb brought life today. Um, Amari Cooper had a couple big catches. Ezekiel Elliott ran for his first 100-yard outing of the year. Tony Pollard, I think, is a nice compliment to him. Had a big, huge touchdown run himself. So Dallas has life, and uh, they're more fun to watch than the Eagles. So I'm re- I would mm. ra- rather see Dallas uh, you know, make something out of this uh, and, and, and
2: for John. This shouldn't be impossible. The, if Andy Dalton could just be – basically Andy Dalton. He doesn't need to be special because he never really has been, but he's been proficient for large chunks of his career. They should be able to score 25 to 30 points a game with this team. Even if it's not the same offense, it used to be the offensive line isn't as good. There's still enough there and Dalton is capable West. Am I crazy? I mean, is is it crazy to think that the Dallas Cowboys this should be not an aberration this week, but something we see more often going forward. Dalton getting more comfortable and the Cowboys becoming not embarrassing anymore on offense.
3: I think you're right. And I think we've seen a team that's kind of transformed. They seem like a different team November 22nd than they were October 22nd. Like they've, I, I think Mark mentioned their improved defense, and it's not just a little bit. I think they're much improved, and they did get worn down today. You know, it's not good to be giving up 160 yards to Dalvin Cook and great games for Thielen and Jefferson. But, but I do think you, you're not going to roll into Dallas and just pile up yards and points on the, on the Cowboys like you could earlier in the year.
4: Well, also, they, they got, mean, they I'm won sorry, the game got, too, right? They did. I mean, right. they, they did win the game. They got Zach
5: Martin back and he played right tackle actually, um, and played really well. So I think that, you know, the line health in Dallas, and it seems to be a theme with all these teams. Like, they have, I think, more um, offensive line combinations than pretty much just about anyone, but getting him back today uh, was a spark.
4: Yeah, everyone was crushing, including me, Mike McCarthy. So you sh- we should give them credit. You know, their offensive line, not just. It's not just that they lost like future Hall of Famers and all this stuff. It's just it all happened at once where you had like four or five new starters at once. And so it's very encouraging if you think back to the last time Dalton played, which was against Washington, and this offense was inoperable, uh, that they've gotten it together. And that that does go to coaching. It goes to these these young players. Um, but part of it is – is and more of it is the defense to me. And I know they gave up a lot of points here. But when Kirk Cousins gets the ball, the way that they were rolling today – and they go four and out
3: four when and out.
4: all they got to do is is kick a field goal to get it to overtime. And Alden Smith, get who's been awesome, gets a quarterback hit, and Randy Gregory, Gregory, who looks pretty good coming off uh, a couple years off because uh, of suspensions, looks pretty good. I mean, that that's major.
2: I mean, they the touchdown pass to Schultz was absolutely out schemed the Vikings and Mike Zimmer, and, and I don't know if it was a busted coverage or what, but the fact that Schultz didn't have anyone around him. Uh, within about six or seven yards in the Oof. end zone with 137 to play on the go ahead score. So, yeah, maybe it's, this is a night, uh, we'll give some credit to Mike McCarthy and Kellen Moore because certainly, uh, it's been tee off, se- uh, all season long on these guys. And it's been deserved because they entered this game two and seven and quite frankly were not, uh, competitive, uh, after Dak went down initially. But you just, man. Who's going to win the NFC East if the Cowboys start playing like this? You would think well, the Cowboys someone's going to get someone's going to get a fourth win on
4: Thanksgiving, and we'll have the most wins. I don't. I guess that puts them in first place. Either yeah. Washington,
2: uh, and it's a tough loss for the old uh, team of Zeus CL, also stuck on four wins. It's a tough one, yeah, because uh, this felt like a hiccup game. I talked about it on Thursday. Uh, I didn't think they were going to end up ten and six. They were going to shoot themselves in the foot. Uh, at some point and, but doing it at home against Dallas it's it's not it's not a good look I'm not writing them off I still think they can get to 9 wins and find their way into the playoffs but now they just made their path a lot more difficult I will say that they have the Panthers and Jaguars coming up so they can get back to 6 and 6 by mid December and be okay but mm-mm. not good not good All right and before we move on let's welcome in the great Nick Shook. He has been an invaluable uh, bench player uh, for the podcast this season. And now he joins us along with. I love when there's the two bald guys on at the same time. What's up, Shook?
6: Yeah, you got the good bald uh, duo right here, right next to each other on the screen for those of you watching on YouTube. I I
3: love that chair for you. It looks like your trap muscles never stop.
6: Yeah, see, this is like, (laughs) this is the back. Yeah, so I should probably not wear black, but a lot of what I have is black because it's versatile.
3: You look like you're right now in the hollowed-out volcano in the middle of Pacific Ocean, ready to <laughs> blast some island off the face of the earth.
6: I am very much not in that setting. I'm in the, uh. the windy, cold, blustery Cleveland.
2: <laughs> All right, let's check in with the Cincinnati Bengals. A tough day in Cincinnati.
6: Burrow now running to the side, trying to get to the corner of the end zone. Oh, and Chase Young just tagged him, and the ball is out and recovered there. There's a flag down, which I think is going to be a hold against Cincinnati, but Young caused a big turnover, crashing into Burrow. It was recovered out of bounds.
0: That was violent by Chase going up against his fellow teammate from Ohio State.
2: That's Bram Weinstein and Julia Donaldson for WTEM. Number two pick. Chase Young reacquainted himself with number one pick Joe Burrow at the goal line on Sunday. His crushing hit on fourth down—a huge play—in Washington's twenty-to-nine win over the Bengals. Uh, sadly, shook the big news out of this game, though was a different hit on Burrow, uh, one that uh, ended his fantastic rookie season.
6: Yeah, and and it kind of swung the entire uh, tone of the game. The Bengals had a lead when that happened, and then pretty much just fell silent for the rest of the game. Outscored thirteen to nothing for the remainder of the contest, and you could kind of feel the air sucked out of them uh, when they saw Burrow leave on the cart. You saw a lot of players from both teams, a lot of former Ohio State players who were teammates of Joe Burrow for a couple of years, going over to give him their best wishes. But um, I mean, it, it kind of reminds me of you know you lose your your alpha male, your leader, because. Burrow is a guy, although he's a rookie, he's a guy this team has rallied around almost from the beginning. Um, He's the kind of guy, you know, somebody i like to talk to about about the game likes to say that uh, he's the kind of guy where if you find yourself in a fight – he's coming over the top to, to throw a haymaker and get in the middle of it. He's not sitting on the side like some pretty boy would. And I think that's the type of guy um, that this team has has rallied around and, and you take that away and suddenly they're the Bengals of old, which is the Ryan Finley Bengals, which is the Bengals that don't stand much of a chance, even if they are improved in other areas. And that's kind of what you saw for the remainder of the game. It really kind of punctuates to me what has been a concern for a lot of people, and I know definitely myself this season, could they protect Joe Burrow long enough to get through the season and and, and keep his health in order because he is obviously the franchise guy. He's looked like the guy. He can be their guy for the next decade plus. If they can keep him upright and keep him on the field, unfortunately the nightmares came true today and we'll have to wait until next year to uh, continue Joe Burrow's young and extremely promising still career. Mm.
3: When I saw, the the moment I saw the replay, I knew he was done for the year and just images, Cincinnati is such a heartbroken city when it comes to injuries and to see Just flashed through my mind. Carson Palmer, sacked by Kimo Von Olhoffen. Kenyon Martin, University of Cincinnati basketball player, breaking his leg. Kajana Carter, tearing his knee in his first preseason before he ever plays a game. I mean, Ken Griffey Jr.'s hamstring. It just goes on and on. Tim Crumrise, broken leg in the Super Bowl. Just a heartbroken city. And just to have to deal with this again, I I had boots on the ground in Cincy, our boy Spice Rack said uh, he texted me this every bengal's fan i know hopes for one thing this season burrow avoiding a devastating injury that's it no exaggeration
2: mm. Mm. yeah it's it's unbelievable that that certain organizations just can't shake terrible things like this happening to them because that was the big takeaway of this season was, yes, the Bengals were not going to be a playoff team this year. And who knew if they had the right leadership on the sideline at this point, And they certainly need need more players around. But they had this guy to build around. And they still do. But now you throw in the complication – of a reconstructive knee surgery and the timing of it, you would think sets him up to be ready for week one. But then, of course, in the back of your mind, you're wondering if this affects him as an athlete going forward. We've been talking; everyone's just trying to figure out Carson Wentz. What's wrong with Carson Wentz? And one of the theories is that after he blew out his knee and then he he suffered the back injury, that he lost some of that quick twitch ability. You just hope that with the advances and where we are, with technology and medicine and rehab that he'll come back and be the same guy, but we didn't even want to have to have this conversation. And yet here we are.
6: Yeah. I, I had had a conversation with another another friend today during that game before he got hurt about how, you know, they just haven't been able to really protect him well. And a lot of that is due to injuries up front. But also personnel decisions. You know, they've tried to invest in the offensive line the last few years, Jonah Williams being one of them. He couldn't play his entire rookie year because of an injury. And he was able to come back and has been part of the mix. But, you know, you make decisions like going and re-signing a right tackle like Bobby Hart, who wasn't strong, who's been a little bit better since then. You've had a rotating cast, or right guard for much of the season. Um, You never want to pin a devastating injury on decision makers. But at the same time, when you do spend your first overall pick on a franchise quarterback – and you send him out there behind an offensive line that's just not the best, you are setting yourself up for a, a risk for something like this. Uh, I mean, we could go back in the history of the league and think about a guy like Tim Couch, for example, who was put behind a terrible offensive line in Cleveland. I mean, this is not the first time that this has happened. It's just a terrible outcome that you never want to see any, happen to anybody. And the fact that it has happened now, you know, you have to double down on offensive line protection going forward. But, again, you worry, does he lose something that he might never get back with an injury like that? Now, when that and how does of, it
4: affect next year? You know, right, how does it right. affect them? A lot of a lot of times, you know, Deshaun Watson, even you know, slightly different player and not quite the same in that first year back. It just makes the evaluation of Zach Taylor harder. So we'll see. I my my sense because it's Mike Brown and the contract that Zach Taylor got and the history of the Bengals is they might not even really be thinking about firing Zach Taylor in the way that that fans would. Um, but it, it just at this point you're going to be playing out the string with Ryan Finley. And so you gotta, you're got you basically almost making your decision on Taylor right now. Is he the right guy to shepherd Joe Burrow for the next few years? Is he the right guy to coach up an o- offensive line? Because coaching is, is a huge part of uh, the offensive line, and, and they've struggled to, to put it mildly. Well, I remember a show like, back in April when we, you know, Unsolved Mysteries, and one of
5: the topics was – we have no idea who Zach Taylor is. I'm not a lot closer to knowing who he is now. Um, and they're clearly going to. If you look at the, the way this game played out after Burrow went out, they're going to free fall. So you're going to, you're going to, you know, you're, the, you're not going to learn much about Zach Taylor from here to the end of the season. I don't know. I mean, you're, you know, I could see them. They're going to do one of two things: probably cling to him too long, or bring back Marvin uh, Lewis. It would be the other thing I could see. The <laughs> well, just thing. whoa, they're, they're now we're talking. going to be picking. Well, Marvin they're gonna Lewis. They're going to be picking in the top
2: five. And I guess you could learn from this and uh, invest in that offensive line. That, that feels like a, a no doubt or a no brainer for Cincinnati. Hopefully there's a prospect they hit on and do a better job protecting Jer- Joe Burrow in year two than they did in year one. And a shout out to Alex Smith. He won a game for the first time since November 11th, 2018, one week before he broke his fibula and tibia in his right leg, and nearly died from it. So his comeback story kind of now has come all the way there, uh, and good for him, and he's you know someone for a going to be look on, up to.
4: Yeah, exactly. Now he's going to be on the most watched game of the year, traditionally is the Cowboys game on Thanksgiving. Alex Smith in a big spot, trying to get into first place. They're a frisky team, and they've been a better offense with Alex Smith behind center. I just don't think it's that hard to, to say that. They've been better. He's an right.
3: inspiration for me.
2: Hmm. Wes, go on. I want to hear no, your thoughts on
3: that. That's. I just wanted to say that you I've read where studies have been done on pro athletes, specifically NFL players, on IR and the depression connected to it. Because first of all, you're anybody who is taken out of society for a while in their job, eventually comes to ask, "What's my purpose? What am I doing?" That's a big one. But second of all, and this is particularly pertinent for Alex Smith, is is our relation to pain. And time spent by yourself um, is one thing. Time spent by yourself with pain is something entirely different. So for him to go through all that, that gets my respect.
2: Hmm. Well put, of course, Wes. And we see the parallels to what you're dealing with. And you know you have our respect uh, through the roof, buddy. And we love you. And every time you're on this show, it's a better show. And you've done it again. So thank you. Thanks, guys. There he goes. U.S. U.S. The, the legend Chris Wessling goes out on. You know, do they have what's the podcast awards? Is it Webby's or whatever? Potties just. Whatever it is that that model alone. we get? Alone.
4: What, is, what is the one that got? Um, well, we got a Stitcher award. Stolen? Oh, a Stitcher award. I mean, the, well, the, we the, never the got it. The actual
5: award, the physical award, is on someone's mantles like in, in <laughs> on the East Coast somewhere at this point. From we 100%. did. I think
4: we also got Best New Podcast iTunes <laughs> Honorable <laughs> Mention or something. 20, no, 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 we, were, no. we were like no, a candidate. No, oh no, oh, no that's strap. right. They gave it to a yeah. They gave it to like five or six, and we're one. Yeah, give we it to us. Strap.
2: All right, to us. Let's move on, Chucky. He gets the snap, throws it long
0: down the near sideline. Chase Claypool with a diving grab for a touchdown for Claypool, the rookie out of Notre Dame. That is his seventh
6: touchdown receiving. Make that number eight on the year.
2: Bill Hillgrove, WDVE, and there's that check music, and we're playing it every week because the Steelers win every week. They're now 10-0 after Ben Roethlisberger threw two touchdown passes, including that 32-yard connection to Chase Claypool. Pittsburgh cruises, as expected, to a 27-3 win over the Jaguars. Claypool um, would like you to think about him when you're evaluating the best rookie wideouts this season. He has 10 touchdowns in 10 games. Greg, this one won his playing. Yeah, it did, and
4: you know, I know we're maybe like a little heavy to use an industry term on the show. Mm -hmm. We can save some time here. The, The the two big takeaways I have from this game is that Ben Roethlisberger's arm has looked better the last two weeks. I think he's made more impressive throws in the last two weeks than any part of the season. He had some plays today. Uh, where just his anticipation and arm strength was awesome. Kind of the old Ben plays. And that's what I was looking for early in the season. He was playing effective, but you weren't getting those Ben Roethlisberger throws and you got him, uh, today. You got him last week. I love that. And then we talk about this group as like a bunch of like really great receivers and they are for sure, but Deontay Johnson's the one. I mean, if you look at the targets he gets, it he gets 15 targets a week. He gets 11 or 12 catches a week. This guy is a problem. Like he is by far their number one receiver, and he's doing it week after week, which is it just makes it more impressive.
6: It's really impressive too when you consider the the consistent impact Chase Claypool's had, usually in scoring, not so much in yardage, but definitely in scoring. That they can spread it around this well between him and Deontay Johnson to where. You know, correct me if I'm wrong, but Juju Smith-Schuster is bordering on an afterthought at times. Not on a weekly basis, but at times you forget that he's part of that receiving core as well because of the effectiveness of the other guys and Eric Ebron also kind of doing his part. Uh, four catches for 36 yards and a touchdown today. He's been a nice little addition for them at tight end. Not quite as lucrative as people thought when he signed there, but yeah, he's been effective for sure. So um, I, you know, it's it's a team that it's not necessarily that they rush super effectively, although James Conner was really good today 6.8 yards per carry you expected this against this team uh but the fact that they're so balanced and of course ben roethlisberger playing a big part of that it makes it really hard to ever uh pick against them or or think that they might lose a game i mean obviously Mm -hmm. they're 10 or no so they get to this point but like when i look at them on a week-by-week basis i'm like well it might be close but i still have them winning because they've won games by every like every fashion possible It's it's been close it's been comebacks it's been blowouts it's been everything in between they have the mark of a winning team
5: and one you know dan for you as the president of the Lutonites, um, this is the kind of game, it's, you know, sometimes writing these newsletters is tough. You got to dig deep. He had four interceptions mm-hmm. today. Uh, he does not appear to have the skills necessary for this career at this level. So, you know, I'm just going to encourage you because I've been on the, on the wrong side with some of these fan bases that just, you're going to have to take it to a new level the coverage, think, the dedication.
2: I think it's time for me to pull back the curtain a little bit on what this was always really about. Uh, remember, the, remember the bodyguard? Remember that movie? Sure. Kevin Costner. A young,
6: great, song. great song came Whitney from that. Houston. Yeah.
2: Um, look at Jake Luton Luton as the, the maniac that was trying to off the pop star played by Whitney Houston. Look at me as the Kevin Costner type. And I was looking, which makes sense. And what I saw going into this Jake Luton era was you were going to gravitate towards him and latch on to him. And I knew that you were just going to be hurt again. So what I did, I costumed the situation. I jumped in front of the bullet, right in front of you. You're Whitney Houston. Congratulations. Hmm. Took the bullet, took the gut shot, so you wouldn't be hurt. And now, and now I'm injured, and I'm hurt. But I know I did the right thing. I was doing my job, which was always to protect you, hmm. Whitney Houston. And uh, I will always love you.
5: I mean, I, I. You live in a in a special fantasy world um, where that's the narrative you're coming out with. This I, I appreciate. Um, if any of you're that, welcome. if any of
4: that were true, I would appreciate it. I mean, you should be Gardner Minshew's biggest fan right now, Dan. You should be uh, you oh, know, get starting him back up in. the Let's news go. letter. He was questionable on the injury report this Let's week. Go. I think I think he's coming back. And this Jaguars team, I know it doesn't show with the score, but their defense is playing better. Minshew maybe can get you a win and get the Jets up to number one. They,
2: I know they didn't show it. I didn't watch this game, but I know they didn't show anything here. They're going to win a game once they get Minshew back in there. He's going to have one of those games. But that doesn't happen until he's back in. Mark, I will always love you. Let's move on. If
5: I'm Wendy Houston, I don't like the future, but here we go.
2: Shotgun. Here's the snap. Here's the blitz. Newton winds away from it. Steps up. He wants to run.
3: He's dragged down. Flings the ball forward. It's dead. And the Texans take over on
0: downs.
2: Leading 27-20 with a minute 11 to go. Go. Mark Vandermeer. Haven't heard from him a lot. K-I-L-T. Cam Newton couldn't find anyone, scrambled, was forced into an incompletion, the game clinching, fourth down stop for the Texans, 27-20, they beat the Patriots, Uh, it marks Houston's first win of the year over a team that is not the Jacksonville Jaguars, shook, this loss, uh, it's a killer for the Patriots, no other way uh, around that.
6: Yeah, it's a killer because of the uphill climb that they face, Um, but when I watched it, I, I kept coming back to the same point, which was you know for as much as we've talked about how this offense has had to adjust to have a little bit of a different scheme with Cam Newton and they they run the ball with him and this and that he aired it out a lot today. I mean, I know they lost the game, and, and it's going to be tough going forward, but if you want some encouraging signs, you get it out of Cam Newton, 26 to 40 for 365 yards and a touchdown. I mean, he, he found his guy today was Demir Bird, converted a ton of third downs with them. I think the third down percentage was over 50% uh, thanks to the contributions of Demir Bird, who had, I believe it was a career day. And, and uh, it was encouraging, even if it doesn't end up meaning that much because of the fact that they're in a pretty deep hole at this point, that uh, Cam Newton is not just a guy that you hmm. try to run a QB power, with but can also find open receivers from time to time.
4: Well, their defense has been the story to me this season, the total collapse, you know, Gilmore. I know they had some moments against Baltimore and they're going to, you know, they'll probably have some moments during the season, but this none of this season was going to make sense for the Patriots with a defense that's in the worst 10, I would say, of the NFL. And I think they are they are comfortably there. It this this feels like a game where it was like two teams that sh- getting Closer to a record that actually um, is where their level is, because Houston's about as good a two and two and seven team that I've ever seen. With Watson having, you know, one, he's been a top five, top six quarterback this year. They deserve to be three and seven, and the Patriots probably deserve to be four and six. That's about their level, and and it, it short circuits any hopes they had for the playoffs. But the way that NFC's the AFC's looking, I mean, seven and three is like you need that right now to be in the playoffs. That's how the AFC's
2: looking. Usually that stuff kind of levels out and as but there is every once in a while it happened to the Patriots actually years and years ago that 11 and five didn't get you in the playoffs uh, but it is interesting uh, to see how many teams are on pace for you know 11 and even 12 wins right now.
5: I, it's funny because like we we talked Justin Herbert who's playing like amazing and changing everything we thought um, on a terrible team with a terrible record. That, for some reason, I, maybe just because he's young and I feel like there's hope around him, like this Deshaun Watson, this incredibly stellar season, lost on this directionless team, um, depresses me, and I think it's because I'm not certain that there's a very clear way out of this darkness for the Houston organization on a lot of different levels that we can talk about down the road, but it just feels like a, we're wasting and almost we'll will have forgotten about Deshaun Watson's incredible work this mm. year. He looks awesome.
2: Well, yeah. they need to get – got to get past this wreckage of the Bill O'Brien sure. era as a GM. And that's going to mean getting past a couple drafts that are have been compromised by win-now moves he made that, in hindsight, were not the right moves. So, yeah, that's – and the general kind of vibe around it with Easterby involved uh, and the fact that they have the interim coach – there's just a, for sure, a different kind of picture around the Texans as a pe- compared to the Chargers. Even when, to me, Deshaun Watson at this stage is a better quarterback than Justin Herbert, although maybe closer than anyone could have possibly thought. Well, we <laughs> yeah. should
5: know because we never, we never mentioned this on a show that Easterby. Um, I think he did enough. And got on got on enough people's radars that they had to make a very clear statement the team president did mid last week that he will not be the gm, and then the owner came out and said over the weekend he will not be the gm I think just to- that's
4: fine if he's choosing the gm i don't care oh. it it's meaningless I know but that's the PR move that they're making, and I get it, but my I guess my point is if he's ultimately the most important person in setting up the GM coach structure, which at this point we have every reason to believe he will be, then all that stuff is is bogus PR. But we don't need to talk Easter Easterby all day again. I'm sorry.
6: (laughs) I will say that they do have some pieces in place. They have... You know, Justin Reed had a good game today. He had a clutch sack late in the game that put the Patriots in in a hole and ended up uh, resulting in them settling for a field goal when they had a promising drive going that looked like they could uh, end up tying the game. Uh, obviously, you have Deshaun Watson. The biggest thing they have to do in the offseason they got to figure out how to fix this running game because again, no semblance of a rushing attack. Whatsoever, Deshaun Watson led them in rushing with six attempts for 36 yards. He had a touchdown run that basically punctuated Greg's point about the defense when he ran right through Devin McCourty for a touchdown. I mean, and trucked him like he was a, a big running back, not a quarterback who we expect to make that guy miss or outrun him instead of running through him. But there are still a lot of holes to fill. It's not a complete wreckage. This ship isn't entirely sunk uh, with Bill O'Brien going down as the captain. But uh, they're going to need more than uh, some life preservers to keep it afloat or keep their people on
2: board afloat. Well put, Nick Shook, which takes us to Sunday Night Football. Oh,
0: Sunday night.
4: Great protection again. Mahomes to the end zone. Wide open.
3: Touchdown, Kelsey. Patrick Mahomes, who extends
2: plays like no other. Al Michaels, little skipping his step in Las Vegas with the call. Patrick Mahomes the great Travis Kelsey with 28 seconds to play in the fourth quarter the deciding score and a 35-31 Chiefs victory over the very game Las Vegas Raiders Um, the Chiefs move to 9-1 the Raiders fall to 6-4 and and can only ask what could have been if they Mm. got one more stop Uh, Greg, both teams uh, have reasons to feel good about themselves I know only one team could win uh, and you go all the way top to the quarterback position this to me was the best quarterback game of the season maybe Russell Wilson Kyler Murray won. Uh, you mm. can say uh, Russ was... Cam was pretty solid on Sunday night but this one was better I'm with okay, you. okay fine you could talk about that one but I thought Derek Carr and Patrick Mahomes put on an absolute show in this game and it was a, a joy to watch really It was amazing. I mean, I love watching this
4: Chiefs team. I don't want to take it for granted, just the small things that Patrick Mahomes does. But Carr matching him throw for throw, and Carr being the one for much of the game that went down the field and when he really needed to, was able to create, is what made this game so surprising. Uh, And delightful. The only thing that wasn't surprising was the last 150 that that the Chiefs get the ball back after Jason Witten, of all people, you know, give the Raiders the lead and they just march Right down the field. I think Mahomes' brilliance, though, came out the drive before, like the fourth and one play where the blitz is timed perfectly and he has to backpedal and time that thing. Like he, may, that's where like a guy like Mahomes makes it look easy. Uh, another play where he pump fakes and gets it to Kelsey on the scramble drill. It's like that's those are the plays no one else can do. And so yeah, the Raiders get a lollipop and they feel good, but it's a brutal loss because they're not going to win the division. They're 6 and 4 now and the Chiefs we have lost one away game by in the Greg's last comments. The like, silent this was their pause chance to take them out on the they, other end of that.
5: I mean I like I I see an a Raiders team fueled um and I don't mean this negatively, I mean it almost positively fueled by anger, anger towards the Chiefs and like from a mm. bird's eye view, um you know, Dan, you say that it's that both teams have things they can take away. Mike Mayock um and John Gruden together are building a formidable uh, AFC contingent here. I, I look at guys like Josh Jacobs, um, Jonathan Abram, Max Crosby, Hunter Renfro, um, and it extends to everyone else. It's just that they, I think, you know, even looking at the box score three quarters in, they almost mirrored the Chiefs. I think they're they're they are not the Chiefs. They don't have Patrick Mahomes. They can't be. But they won the first bout to go one and one. If you said you'd go one and one and be sitting here where you are with your record. Um, the Raiders have to be thrilled. I, I, I think they can hang with anyone in the AFC. Um, they're, they're well coached. Uh, I, to me, I, I watch this team and like, yeah, you fell tonight, but I have no problem with it. Like um, I, I think the Raiders are just well constructed, well built, well coached. And you're you can't give the ball back to Mahomes with a you know 145 or whatever was going on there. Um I also would throw in a side comment that I don't think that Al Michaels respects Liam McHugh at all. He had to <laughs> he had to mention Liam McHugh's sort of post game theatricals at some point, and you could tell that this was also one of the best for for all the negatives around Corona. The audible the audible like audio energy of this game being able to listen to Derek Carr and others like do pre-snap and um, you know like line incredible stuff like so I don't know it was a wonderful football game Um, the Raiders hung in there to me the Chiefs this is what they do
6: Michelle will interview the star of the night and then Leon wraps up the week in football am I wrong
5: about that I just sensed a a sense a potential potential lack of respect there
2: the, Al Michaels called the miracle on ice 40 years ago. Sure, Al, yeah. Al Michaels has betting slips that are older than Liam McHugh. So it's just a matter of like <laughs> it's what time you, it's just, you time, know, yeah. maybe in time, Liam will earn the respect of Al Michaels, but we're not there yet. Shook.
6: I think um, that that anger is personified by Jonathan Abram, who it, it became clear to me two or three weeks ago when the Raiders were playing the Browns that Jonathan Abram is a borderline psychopath on the football field. In that game, he made a tackle uh, on Kareem Hunt and ripped his own helmet off just to talk trash. He flies around the field like that every game. He took that type of anger and, and into this game, and I think it becomes frustration for the Raiders going forward because you're right, they are kind of built in a similar fashion, but they don't have the X factor. Derek Carr is a good quarterback, but he, the, Patrick Mahomes is, is – one of a kind, and when you take the field with, you know, a minute 20 or whatever it was left, uh, you know, less than two minutes, it's basically what Greg's tweet was, which was oh, yeah, I'm sure that'll wrap this game up. You know, that's it. Good job, Raiders. Congrats on the win. Yeah, that's not going to happen, because you knew Mahomes was going to lead them down the field. They made it look so easy that it is really frustrating, but this would be such a fun matchup if we got this in the divisional round. Let's say the Chiefs are the one seed. Absolutely. And, and let's, you know, somehow they, they, they I know the Steelers undefeated. Let's say the Chiefs are undefeated, or not undefeated, but they take the one seed and they meet in the divisional round in Kansas City. I mean, it would make for a great postseason matchup because I don't think the Raiders are that far off. And I know... They still gave up thirty-five points, but this was one of the better defensive showings against the Chiefs. I think this season, mm. um, relatively speaking, they gave, they gave them problems until that final quarter. They definitely gave them problems. There was a, a moment there where I was like, "Are the Chiefs going to struggle to?" Well, there was a moment where I thought, "I wonder if the two, Chiefs
4: they got two stops." I mean, they yeah. they're choosing they're choosing, and it's the problem with play, playing the Chiefs. And the, the impressive thing is the Raiders can match them, but it's do, do you want to lose fast or slow? And they yeah. chose to make them go in these long drives, but they weren't getting stops.
6: Yeah, I know, and for the most part, you're right, especially in the fourth quarter, but there was a little bit of of a period there in the second half where I was like, wow, they're actually standing up somewhat well, considering, again, that this is the Chiefs, which most teams struggle to stop. So uh, it would make for a really fun playoff matchup if we could get there, and until then, it's it's a fun rivalry in this division, and, and it's kind of a return to you know, a rivalry that was strong decades ago and, and looks like it's going to be for the near future.
2: All right, so it's Jason Witten that catches the go-ahead touchdown pass with 143 to play. We've been we've really been all over the place. We're jumping around. We're trying to figure out how much time was left. I said, I said about 150. 143, 143 is the exact <laughs> number uh, when Witten scores. And how about that? Jason Witten had, almost had the game-winning catch in a, a big primetime game in 2020. And this is what happened uh, when the Chiefs took over. It took them seven plays to go 75 yards in one minute 15 seconds, Mahomes to Tyreek for 10. Mahomes incomplete. Mahomes to Tyreek for nine. Mahomes to Hardman for 16. Mahomes uh, to Kelsey for 15. Mahomes to uh, Darius Williams for three. And then after a timeout by KC, Mahomes to Kelsey for 22. It's it, we sh- we shouldn't take it for granted what like, what we're seeing here with the Chiefs and how they can make everyone look. Terrible, uh, so amazing, and the the Raiders they fall to six and four. I was just I just took a look at the AFC standings. It's still obviously a logjam. They have the tiebreaker, as Shook and Sessler know very well, on the Browns, who they're one game behind. And also now the Ravens have dropped down into this 6-4 te- and four territory. I think the Raiders are a playoff team. Maybe something yep. changes from now. I think they're a better team uh, than the Browns. I, Tennessee, I think they're a better team than the Titans. And the Ravens, I, as weird as it is to say, I think they they could be better than the Ra- the Ravens. So I expect the Raiders to bounce back from this. Well, more importantly, their schedule
4: fi- finally opens up. It's been one of the toughest in the NFL all season, and uh, the rest of it is not bad. The the only thing I would I would. Caution against, and I think they could be a dangerous team in the playoffs. It's like, now is their time. Okay, yeah, maybe they're building something. That's what they thought last time. That's what a million teams think. And so it's when you're at this point, like, you got to take advantage. I think they have an offense that can go deep in the playoffs right now. And their defense makes a couple plays. Like, no no team has given the Chiefs as much uh, trouble as the Raiders. It, it, so close. I don't they're know. Not I feel, feel they're not afraid of no, them. They're not afraid of the not. Chiefs.
5: That's exactly it. I think that I, it, maybe it's a Gruden thing. Um, And we don't know what's happening behind the scenes, but if you can only imagine Gruden's speeches to this team, and you know he knows Andy Reid, uh, you know as Greg mentioned, uh, Andy Reid is John Gruden's or grandfather, Godfather, Godfather the Godfather of 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 Andy Reid, apparently. But like, um, there, I think there was just no fear. We're gonna go, we're gonna go take it to the Chiefs, and like, Mm. uh, I'm with you, Dan. I think the Raiders um, came into Cleveland and. Outmuscled a Cleveland team that missed some of its key components, but that tiebreaker is killer. I could see a 10-6 team in the AFC um, watching the playoffs from home. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure we will get that. When was the biggest... last time that
6: happened, Mark? Huh? Off the
5: well, top of your head, was the last time that happened? You know, you know it's happened, and it's going to happen probably <laughs> to the same team twice um, um,
2: over the course of a 10-year this... journey. This is a nice little in-joke on the Browns and maybe save it for the Browns podcast. I wouldn't call it a joke. It
5: was not funny when it happened (laughs) Um, the first time. (laughs)
2: Uh, Shout-out. The only thing more impressive than the quarterback play today was, as Mark alluded to, NBC, Sunday Night Football, the best, best, best production in the game from the booth to the highlight, to the um, uh, different camera angles, to the sound. It's unbelievable what they can do. And... It was like having Derek Carr in the living room all night and hearing all the... Which I don't know
5: that I want, but I'll take it tonight. I don't need that (laughs) seven nights a week, but...
2: I liked Mamba, James Harden, Pistol Pete, Chris Mullen, all NBA players that are name-dropped in the cadence. Also, Sammy Davis uh, got a name drop. It it was a lot of fun. And and one other thing in the telecast, the weakest link. (sighs) Ricky, now they're... (sighs) You know, now they're selling it as in big block lettering. Could this be the weakest team ever? So (laughs) I know Patrick Claibon was optimistic that, oh, that's just kind of like the shtick of the show that the host is going to get on everyone. But now we have ever more evidence that Mm -hmm. something happened on this show that maybe wasn't um, great. Great. Yeah,
6: I don't know. If you're listening to this on Monday morning, you got to check it out tonight. And if you're listening to it late night Sunday. Gotta check it out tomorrow. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna reverse that narrative. I expect a. <laughs> you're listening through LeBron... Tuesday.
4: I guess you're you're screwed. I guess you're gonna have to listen to it yesterday. <laughs> Nick has ex- another
6: theory. I expect a LeBron-like performance out of Ricky Hollywood yeah. on the weakest link. To I do too. I do too. All right,
2: from re- uh, one week team to to the, to another. <laughs> Real quick, uh, new segment that uh, Eric and I cooked up. We we should do a roundup at the end of every Sunday show. Just where we are at with the lock of the week. Uh, Ricky, how how are we doing this?
6: Alright, so here is Oh, sounds nice
2: What's this?
6: Oh, this is the club for the dub The winners So, if you won your lock this week You get VIP Bottle service A separate table This week, it's just Dan alone Oh,
5: Naturally, this segment
2: occurs now Mark always thinking the worst of me. No, uh, no, I'm th- I know, just days complete ago. and utter reality. All right. Well, Mark, you're in the room with me, right? Obviously. <laughs> no,
5: Dan, no. Greg and I like went into our you know our dolphins <laughs> fetish. Dan and alone.
2: Oh, I'm am alone. In, oh, where where's just the here. rest of the gang, Ricky? Ah. Oh, we're outside the club dub now. It's
6: only you. We're so what, stuck ha- what at the were the door.
2: Ricky, the conceit of this is to let people know what the locks were this week.
6: Yes, absolutely. So Greg originally locked up the Chiefs, but switched it this morning um, to the Dolphins. Bad Ooh. move. Uh, Mark also locked up the Dolphins. Dan, as you alluded to earlier, you took the Saints, even with the Taysom Hill announcement. Um, it. Wes has locked up. This is a big one, you guys. The Rams on Monday Night Football against Tom Brady.
2: Mm, interesting. Very, very. And very what about crazy. you, Erica?
6: And I locked up the loser Patriots. Mm.
5: Total non-factor.
6: <laughs> Ugh,
2: so upset. Nisa, hang in there, Ricky.
5: Will this segment occur next week if Greg and I were to win our locks and Dan you were
2: to go down in a, in a house of fire? Can't hear you. It's too loud in here, Mark. Of course not. <laughs> Maybe next week you can join me. All right. Absurd. Ricky, you can come on in. Come on in with us. All right, here we go. It
4: says, we'll like, only third place allowed inside. Only coming in. Uh-oh. Did somebody said, <laughs> why, why Your jokes you know?
6: need a little work.
4: What's up? Right, why did you switch off the Chiefs, by the way? Because the line was seven and a half, and we had said it should right. be seven or under. Out of so nobility. I was like, my, whole, my whole point was with the whole thing is I don't like this game. I'm going to try to, I'm still in, in, first, in first, and if there is a rule, if you win two years in a row, which this would be, then you could kill it. But my whole point with my problems with the segment was: you need to have rules. You know, about? if you're going to play rules, what? then then uh, right. What are, are you talking it? about? I'm saying if if I win the two years in a row, everyone knows that's the rule. Then you can
2: kill the segment. The segment will never die. The segment will die when I'm off the show. When never I
4: won die. the picks two years in a row, then I got to kill that. And no, no, then but when, Greg, when you this, can't. This happen You can't be
5: killing the idea of this, <laughs> uh, you know, part of our show, but also be writing picks for NFL.com. Isn't it cute that Greg mm. think
2: he uh, he thinks he killed the you other? can ev- you
5: can't have we it did. all. You know, every way. You know, please. we did. Is yeah. Greg
6: Rosenhall the fun killer? <laughs>
5: we well, have oh, known that for a long time. That mystery's been solved.
2: <laughs> All right, that's it. This is uh Dan Hansa signing off for Quiet Storm. The mailman, yes. Uh Nick Shook, the unshookable Nick Shook, working on it. We'll figure out eventually the old boss and Ricky Hollywood behind the Velvet Roast on the wrong side. Until mm. Tuesday.